Our jobs are fleeing the country. We have to stop our jobs from being stolen from us. What we need to do here is to prioritise Australian jobs first. This leader of the opposition is a rank opportunist. He is completely hypocritical on this issue. Nobody has been better at granting 457 visas than him. The 457 visa for skilled workers is under the spotlight, with both Labor and the Coalition government suggesting changes. The visa allows workers to come to Australia and work for an approved business for up to four years. Labor and the Coalition want to change the visa conditions so these 457 workers aren't taking the jobs that would otherwise be filled by Australians. But my guest on Business Briefing... Peter MacDonald and I'm Professor of Demography uh, in the University of Melbourne. ...thinks the policy changes are misguided. Uh, if it's stated in general terms, that's definitely not the case. That uh, uh, to say that, you know, there's roughly, say, 700,000, 600,000 uh, Australians who are unemployed formally, but there's also a lot of others who are kind of out of the labour force. They're not looking for work. So we're, pro we're probably talking about a total of Australians who are not employed of working age in the area of about 1.2, 1.3 million people. So it's a big number, but uh, 457s are in general highly qualified people and the people who do not have the jobs in Australia at present are not highly qualified in general. So you know, there's, a, there's a mismatch there. Now, the, I've noticed that the Shadow Minister has been talking about particular occupations and I think that's the right way to do things, that you, you do need to be looking at particular occupations. And so, you know, we can take an example. He, he mentioned carpenters, a, a trade. Now, of that 1.2 million workers who are not working, maybe about 500 are carpenters. But if you put out a message saying that to 1.2 million people that you are not employed because of 457 visas, you are giving a highly distorted picture. If you say there might be a problem with carpenters, then 500 people are thinking that, not 1.2 million. So the types of work restrictions under the 457 visas that Labor is proposing might be warranted in this case? Well, I was on the 457 inquiry a couple of years ago, and we made a lot of recommendations, which were accepted by government. Uh, however, most of them were not implemented. They, they haven't been implemented yet. Uh, and we did suggest that, uh, you know, that problems can arise uh, with very particular occupations, and there may be differences across regions as well. So there may be an excess of nurses in Sydney, say, but not in a country, country area. And uh, so we recommended that uh, government should have a process uh, by which this was all assessed. You know, what is the labour demand for particular occupations in particular places and then act upon that. And that might involve capping particular occupations in, in the 457 list uh, or restricting the regions to which they, they can work. So certainly we need to look at uh, that kind of issue uh, but it is, it's a relatively small issue compared to the total number of uh, 457. Another area which is a little bit problematic is uh, that often the 457 is actually a better worker than the Australian because of their experience. So you've got new graduates in Australia uh, who have no experience uh, essentially competing 
in the labour market with people from overseas who have maybe 10, 15 years' experience. That's not many areas, again. Nurses is one of them. Uh, academics, interestingly, is another. That we need mechanisms which ensure that uh, newly trained Australian graduates are able to uh, get through in, into, the, into these professional jobs for which they're trained. But 457 as a general are filling niches, you know, the, the CEOs of major companies are on 457s. Uh, they are often workers who, if not employed, the investment w- would not take place because they need that high, that high skill. And that means 457s in general create jobs for Australians. A lot of the criticism of Labor's policies is similarities to the sentiment behind the Trump campaign where there yeah. is this idea that there is a, a finite amount of jobs and some are being taken by these migrant or itinerant workers. Do you think that that's the case in Australia? Is it a case that Australia's economy only can support so many jobs? Well, there's new jobs coming online all the time, of course. There's industry restructures. Industry's changing all of the time. And there are, there are new jobs emerging all the time. But the important contextual factor there is that the Australian labour force taking out migration... Is, is static. There is no growth in the Australian labour force. There's a kind of thinking that we're back in the 1960s when each new cohort entering the labour market is much bigger than the previous one. That's no longer the case for demographic reasons. Uh, there is no growth in the Australian labour force into the future without migration. And so uh, if we're going to expand industry at all, then migration is absolutely part of the picture. It has to be. But the the, the interesting area, perhaps, is the, is the part-time work. And uh, it's true that uh, working holiday makers, international students are very prominent uh, in part-time work in Australia. And that's been one of the major restructures in the Australian industry as well. That, you know, it's, it's highly productive for employers uh, not to be having to employ people at times when there's very little demand. So, so, and this is in areas like uh, you know, the service industries, driving taxis, uh, cleaning, uh, um, and uh, restaurants and cafes, etc. Uh, to be able to employ people part-time uh, is, is really good for them. And, and to employ the number of hours and the particular hours. And international students and uh, working holiday makers are great for that purpose. But the other uh, group that we don't hear much about and are much, much bigger are Australian students. Australian students have gone into those jobs in a huge way. That's a change in the... It's an important contextual change in the labour market. Now, the people who are unemployed in Australia, one... their skills are not matched to those kinds of jobs, or they have no skills. Uh, but two, they also need full-time work. You know, if you're on an unemployment benefit, part-time work is not going to get you, uh, you know, long-term off the unemployment benefit. And it's, in fact, a bit of a nuisance because, you know, you've got to deal with Centrelink about the income you're making and so on going on and off unemployment benefits. So it's... Uh, uh, it's not a real solution uh, to the, uh, the the people who are not in the labour force. 
So uh, if we're so if we're talking about the difference here between blue collar and white collar workers, so it seems that Labor's policy is more directed to try and get votes from blue collar workers. What proportion do they actually make up of the unemployed in Australia? And it, it seems that tampering with the four five seven yeah. won't exactly target that group. Well, there are two major groups who are not working. One, and you know, there's a gradient in between, of course, but one is the structurally unemployed who are very likely to get jobs, and specialised training might be a good thing for, in, in some cases uh, for those people. But there is a very large group of people, maybe 600,000, 700,000 people of working age in Australia, who are effectively unemployable in the Australian labour market at present because they, they are totally unskilled, they left school early, and to suggest to those people that the solution to their problem is to stop migration or to stop bringing in temporary workers is doing them a huge disservice because that's not their problem. Uh, their problem goes way, way back in, the, in their life histories. And that's in policy terms, we need to be focusing on that and not diverting attention in the, in the way that's going on at the moment. The, the biggest problem we have in Australia in respect of employment is people who are largely unemployable. That's Peter MacDonald, Professor of Demography at the University of Melbourne. Why don't you just ask an economist? My name is Lucas McGowan and I'm from Richmond. My question is... Trump goes on about the deliberate devaluation of the yuan by the Chinese, which he claims gives them an unfair advantage. Is he onto something? And I want to know because I wonder if Trump is right about anything. So it's a great question, and as with all things Trump, one has to wonder whether this is uh, true or not true. And as usual, there's, there's elements of truth in the idea that China has been a currency manipulator. Definitely in the past, and we're now talking 18 months, two years or, or further ago, longer ago, China was artificially keeping its exchange rate low in order to make its exports more competitive. Now, that's something that a lot of countries have sort of toyed with. It's something that the Reserve Bank of Australia, in fact, talks about as being an advantage of having a low Australian dollar, and it factors into some of their thinking about uh, interest rate moves, as they say openly in the in the governor's statements from month to month. So the, the price is set in world markets, basically based on the supply and demand of for the particular currency, in China's case, the yuan. And what they can do is do so-called open market operations where the government or the central bank buys or sells currency to influence the balance between supply and demand and therefore influence the price. So even countries that try and do something about their exchange rate, there's a question of how fair or unfair that uh, perceived manipulation is. But there are rules about that. There are WTO rules and so on. And so in the past, China almost certainly uh, was manipulating its currency. Actually, in the last 12 months to 18 months, it's been, in fact, propping up its currency and, if anything, keeping it artificially high. And so there's really no evidence that in recent times China's acting as a currency manipulator. If, If anything, it's doing the opposite. Thanks, Lucas, for that question, and to economist Richard Holden for answering it. If you've got a burning economics question, you can write it down or record it and send it to ask at theconversation.edu.au. That's ask at theconversation, all one word, .edu.au. 
Our theme music is by Ben Sound, and I'm Jenny Henderson, Business and Economy Editor for The Conversation. For more business briefing, you can subscribe on iTunes, and you can also rate our podcast while you're there.